0: Great to be back, lovely to see you on this grim evening in this grim epoch, but uh, (laughs) here we are to review exhibitions that place front and center what could and should have been very 20th century concerns with uh, uh, the resolved issues of gender and race, but uh, um, are, in fact, re-sharpened in their focus, in, 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 in the light of where we find ourselves, so those of you who follow the panel with any regularity, and let me first let me first do that little PR, that little pollster moment. Uh, we all know how useful polls are. Um, who's here at the review panel for the first time this evening? Fantastic, fantastic. Can I actually? Test your patience and ask who who heard about the review panel from either seeing a leaflet at the Brooklyn <coughs> Museum or seeing uh seeing something on a Twitter feed from the Met museum perhaps great that's a very useful statistic <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, should be easy to remember a round number so um, <laughs> great, good to know, but well, for the sake of those who are new to the panel, let me just say that. We critics have been to see a couple of exhibitions. Uh, we hope that you have two. Okay, what the heck, one more poll. Who has seen both shows that we're talking about this evening? That's very healthy, excellent. That's the kind of statistic we like. Um, we've been to see two exhibitions. Now, what is unusual that those of you who follow the review panel with some regularity will pick up on is that um, we usually have a policy of not covering retrospective exhibitions on the basis that if all four critics end up slamming a show and it's the artist's, the sum total of the, la- the artist's abilities and achievements over a lifetime, what is he and she supposed to do afterwards? Um, although that may be a rather uh, self aggrandizing notion of the power of, of <laughs> criticism. Um, but generally, actually, we like the focus to be a recent body of work um, by a living artist. And so it is a departure uh, to have selected a couple of retrospective overviews. It gives us a chance, if we do so every five, 10 years, to check in on the institution of the retrospective. Um, but it also just happened to be that when I sent out the long short list of eligible shows for the panel, in my haste, I didn't weed out all of the retrospectives, and the the consensus coming back from my guests was for boom, 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 various shows. We could have ended up with three or four retrospectives. Those were those were the common interests among the panelists. So sometimes you just think, okay, you go with the flow. Uh, a little slip can can lead one in an interesting direction. So that's what we're doing this evening, looking at these two quite substantial exhibitions of pretty substantial mid- or full-career <coughs> artists and making of them what we will. So my first duty and pleasure is to introduce our guests, uh, two of whom are long-standing regulars on the review panel. Christian Viveros Fonet has really done extra duty. He's Come down with me to Philadelphia on one occasion, as well as um, being a regular at the, uh, the old place, um, the National Academy. Uh, Christian vibros Fonet is the uh, art and culture critic of Art.net magazine. Um, he's also known to many of us for his uh, years of service as art critic of the Village Voice. Uh, and his collected essays are actually uh, going to be coming out <laughs> in Spanish, uh, published in Spain, but with the English title "Greatest Hits." And who's the publisher of that, Christian?
1: Sendiac, which is a uh, university uh <laughs> I'm now. Going to publication.
0: Fantastic. Publishing. Right. Well, we hotly and eagerly look forward to the uh, the English edition in due course, <coughs> unless, of course, we are. Um, bilingual, trilingual, and um, savor reading art criticism in translation. Um, usually it's hard enough in the original, but in <laughs> your case, the uh, erudition and liveliness will carry across in any language, I am sure. Uh, Nancy Princeton-Tall uh, is a uh, uh, doyen of criticism. She's a contributing editor of, uh, at, at Art in America magazine and she is the author of the recent uh, biography uh, of Agnes Martin, Uh, essential background reading to those of us enjoying the Guggenheim Museum exhibition. Um, Her Life of uh, Agnes Martin recently received the Penn Literary Award in Biography. And Zoe Lesclav, (laughs) who is uh, Uh, A neophyte on this panel, Um, but no neophyte in the craft of criticism. Uh, Zoe is a regular contributor at um, Art Forum, uh, Art News, and the magazine Even. And she's the author of a forthcoming book from uh, Tarshan, uh, Prehistory, sorry, um, uh, the title of which is... That subtitle is uh, no. Uh, maybe it's more dignified <laughs> just to ask you to give us the title of your forthcoming book, uh, Tasha. Thank you for
2: the dignity. Um, uh, it's called Paleoart: uh, Represent Visions of the Prehistoric Past, 1830 to
0: 1990. Fantastic. Thank you. That we look forward to. The prehistoric past get us ready for the impending prehistoric future.
2: And us all going the way of the dinosaurs. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes, indeed. Great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. <laughs> okay. What we're going to do by way of visuals uh, this evening is uh, for we're going to we're going to review the shows uh, Manhattan to Brooklyn, so we end up in the best place. Um, we're going to look at Carrie James Marshall's mastery at the at Met Breuer first, and then after the interval where we very much look forward to hearing animated discussion, a continuation of the discussion from the audience. Um, uh, We'll then move on to Marilyn Winter um, uh, Pretty Dirty that's uh, literally next door, but alas, timing is all. It would have been nice to go and see the exhibition this afternoon and then breeze over to the library, but we didn't time it perfectly. They are closed on Tuesdays. But we'll look at the Brooklyn Museum show in the second half of the program. And what we're going to do for visuals is we have the uh, one minute um, video produced by um, uh, at the Met with Carrie James Marshall, and then a good selection, a fulsome selection of uh, images to look at. And um, so we'll leave you to enjoy that. Well, I I was just utterly bowled over by Kerry James Marshall, it's a show I've been back to several times and will go back to more and more for more and more pleasures and surprises. And, and it occurs to me, it's such a rudimentary question, but the traditional way of doing art history is just first of all establish where a person can have any kind of bearings, just to have any kind of compass with a person of this kind of extraordinary power because what he's doing is not on the surface of it in the least typical of our art, artistic times, and yet it feels of the times. So let me just begin by having my panel focus on on filling us in 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 what they think, and I, I, Nancy, direct the question to you first. Um, Who are his peers? Uh, Who are his peers if we need to and want to separate it formally and iconographically? Um, who, Who else is painting figurative subjects of this kind of imaginative range, and by peers, let's be generous and say 25 years in either direction, Curry James Marshall, born 1955, um, form, technique, iconography, thematics, if we can just slot him into some art historical kind of box, not box, but filing cabinet, where, where who are his peers? Oh God!
3: Naturally, you you lead with a question I'm going to find almost impossible to answer, and I think that's part of the strength of um, of his work. Uh, You know, he's of the generation that produced the um, some of the New York Expressionist painters of the '80s, with whom it might be instructive to compare him. If you think of somebody um, like Eric Fischel or David Sally, um painters who were reintroducing figuration as a way of talking about um, the culture of the time, their upbringing, certainly in the case of Eric Fischel, and um, how very privileged and white uh, uh, Eric Fischel's world looks in the 80s and in fact still today in relationship to the world that Carrie James Marshall is showing us. Um, I, you know, I, I'm gonna have to say that I find it impossible to talk about either of these artists in isolation from the political moment we find ourselves in and um, to look for work that's really comparable to what we see at the Met Breuer. I think we have to look at work that um, takes, uh, takes political responsibility for its iconography
0: and yeah so that's that's um that's a good that is a formal bearing um we could also allow ourselves the luxury of going in the thematic or iconographical direction as well christian wh- wh- who would you want to think of if you were uh either curating uh, you 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 an exhibition or if you were presenting a a lecture to students on uh, some of the thematics in Kerry James Marshall. Um, who who would who would the abutting slides be belong to?
1: I mean, I think what we saw in the slideshow was really the continuum almost. I mean, we've got Velázquez in one of the paintings there, um, and we've got Warhol in the in the Rorschach lot, and basically everything between. And so, you know, I I, I think what what he's done. And, and where he figures with painters of the last 25 years, globally, um, you know, is he has been as ambitious as folks who've decided to take on the entire medium, you know, and there's not that many of those folks. I mean, there's, you know, Richter, um, uh, you know, you. Richter <laughs> um, uh, you, you could you could go elsewhere if you want to be net charitable Rauch maybe Neil Rauch um, I think there's an aspect to John Curran's sort of um, uh, openness you know iconographic openness that you could sort of uh, compare him against um, I, I would say yes uh um uh, you know, I think there there are there are a number of painters that I think, like I said, who are after the whole enchilada that that he belongs in company with. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I mean, I think after this show, um he he might very well feel like the guy of the moment and by the moment i mean you know the last 5 possibly even 10 years or forward you know i i i i wanted to sort of call this i i i did a piece about uh about the show about two or three weeks ago i don't remember for for artnet and i wanted to, i wanted to call it who's in the mastery now um but uh, you know, you you guys know the way of art magazines, they tend to sort of like take your titling away. And, yes. and, and frankly I don't remember what, what the title was for it. But but in any event that that was sort of the sense that I was left with in 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 seeing the show. And in seeing images like these, for example. Um there was that series of garden paintings, which I thought that, that the that the uh Met Breuer was quite smart, Ian Altavir was the was the guy who curated uh there. Um, was quite smart in arranging almost like uh, you know Monet's uh, water lilies um, <laughs> in a big room, right? And and you almost had that sense, though there is that double or triple or 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 you know four-way valence to them because they're really not gardens that he's depicting specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have their beautiful colour and and you know be, you know obviously sort of beautiful figuration and, and, and what have you. But they're housing projects, right? In, in exactly.
0: Euphemistically given right. the name such and such gardens, exactly. Right,
1: right, right. And they're kind of like the kickoff for his career. I mean those that's the work that goes to Documenta.
0: Um well it, it was also shown in a kind of baronial setting, wasn't it? With the, they because they, they, they feel to me like tapestries. You mean in Documenta or Documenta? Or? I didn't see them ah. so I wouldn't know. Yeah.
1: Uh, is, is that the way they were shown? Yes, yeah.
0: yes. They they were given... Uh, uh, a, it was like a corridor, but it was um, um, a mezzanine-type space right. within the Friedrich and Jarman.
1: Better world. or worse or just simply different than what the Met Breuer did?
0: Um, well, the Met Breuer, I think, one has uh, w- more space with them, um, uh, but the uh, at Documento, it had more of a sense of a procession. But... Um, yeah yeah they they um great uh, zoe um uh, uh nancy and 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 christian have picked up on uh connections with uh painters of big figurative ambition um how about his who are his peers in terms of thematics and iconography would you say
2: well i think um it's you know one instantly goes to contemporary artists like Kehinde Wiley and McLean Thomas, who are also looking at a sort of at art history and the history of Western paintings, specifically with an eye to the absence of black bodies and reinserting them into a framework of um, portraiture, of landscape, of history, painting, of still life and sort of bringing all these different Um, areas of Western painting to bear on the daily Black experience in America specifically. And so they seem like sort of obvious correlatives. But it's interesting that you mentioned that particular room, Christian, because it struck me as well. And though in in a different way, sort of the experience of arriving in one of those grand galleries in European museums, like the Prada, where you have all the Velazquez's arrayed, you know, so resplendently. And I think that that was a you know incisive curatorial move to position him historically in line with those sorts of artists whom he's clearly referencing and you know
0: especially as actually on the in the third floor you will have seen uh, a, his curated display of uh, uh, sources and, and points of reference in the in the historic collections of the met and then you would work your way up to something which has that
1: And and mind you, I didn't want to leave English painters out, so I I should have said Hockney. Hockney, right.
0: Well, in fact, the whole School of London, really. Yeah, yeah, totally. totally. um, I I, I was very struck by... I mean, he's a bit of an obsession of mine, and... um, uh, I was very struck, though, and I think this is something I would develop uh, in a a piece of writing, is that um, the extraordinary affinities that he has with uh, R.B. Kitai, um, who was given a show by The Met, i think pretty much 90 to 20 years ago um 95, 05, yes 20 years ago 21 years ago w- which was horribly received um but um uh, sort of doing to the history of the canon um through a a, a jewish lens of what um marshall is doing through uh, a black lens and um both artists have self-portraits as women, for instance, as a minor detail, but um, a point of affinity. But it's that um, um, resuscitation of styles to tell a big story to, in Kittite's case, kind of violate um, um, modernist taboos of storytelling, which by this moment, historically, is, is no longer perceived as a threat, perhaps. Um, but yeah there's a whole a whole english um thing with uh, art of the past and um um retelling the story uh, that you have to tell um through that medium and then perhaps we could also think about um new york realist. i mean american um realist painters of the mid 20th century onwards i mean um somebody like Bob Thompson, for instance, uh, right. uh, self-consciously emulating but highly personalizing uh, a rapport with old master painting, with mastery.
3: I think it's also, um, it's also possible to talk about Leon Golub, um, not just in terms of subject matter, but also in terms of his material choices, his f- format choices in the yeah. many, many paintings, including the garden project paintings that are um, on unstretched canvas that's grommeted um, the ground, yeah. And there's something um, that becomes very apparently important content-wise about those choices because there's a sense of um, a, of work that's portable that you know in haste mm. can be folded up and you almost see fold marks in a lot of the paintings, brought to the next location uh, in the sense of an, a, a political banner. And yes, paraded. I mean paraded. It, and it, in a that recalls yeah.
0: the Renaissance tradition of parading big decorations mm-hmm. through the streets doesn't it
2: and there's a sense of portability but also of uh, this really amazing assertive aggressive act of grommeting it to the wall of the museum you know yep. it can't just be easily deinstalled, lifted away taken it becomes physically part of the space its architecture its infrastructure and isn't going anywhere so
1: so the way, you know, you can read that sort of, you know, within its own contemporary framework as being sort of like social justifications or like theoretical justifications for, for painting, which in a way, the grommeting aspect was the portability, the mailability was, I mean, there there was that that aspect of sort of painting at the time that like you had to come up with a social project <laughs> to insert painting into, you know, almost like you had to put it into an envelope and send it off for it to actually sort of like function, you know, um, and, you know, and, and to me, the interesting thing is to see him go through those steps, you know, you, you know, somehow or other, those calisthenics, which, you know, you're absolutely right. Gallag went through, you know, uh, Apple Brew went through any number of, any number of other artists, you know, and then get to this place where he's so Clearly, just painting, man. I mean, like, you know, just so deliberately and in your face, unexcusably, no apologies, painting. And and doing so, as you said, in the most operatic, large sort of uh, uh, um, uh, veined... Redistributive maybe way, since partly what we're talking about is not just him painting, but him him painting the image of the black figure back into the canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he was like, well, you know, I don't see this stuff. Mm. This is a problem. You know, yeah. um, therefore, if nobody else is going to paint it, I'll do it.
0: Eccentric supports seem to be. A light motif I mean we mm-hmm. in the very first room we have a painting on a saddle okay. uh, and then uh, or or some kind of leather support right. and then um many of the paintings are on PVC. I mean it's um and it has a, it gives it a, a very billboardy un um un old mastery kind of um, uh, tangibility yeah, um, yeah. um, but but at the same time um the effortlessness of his the ease and effortlessness of his highly personal highly distinct style the delivery of it and um the pro- one one has to th- has to say the prolificness um one one senses that this is a guy um who doesn't um, necessarily agonize over each uh, brush stroke and that um he can dispatch that he can turn them out in uh, an old masterly kind of like one thinks of Rubens and his workshop, or uh, uh, one, uh, you know, one thinks of uh, the uh, the arrival of Marie de Medici or something um, as a kind of precedent for this. These huge cinematic billboardy kind of knocked not knocked out. They're not journeyman work by any chance. I, I, I agree. I mean, they have mastery, but um, um, it's a different conception of painting, isn't it? It's not Zoe. It's not. Um, it, it is painting for display. there's no equivocation about that. they don 't feel do they, or perhaps i'm perhaps i'm imposing Would, uh, let me up, let me put this as a question. Does he seem like a painter, painter for he, painting for himself to see what something looks like, or is he a painter painting for us and showing us how it should look?
2: Well, I think the strength of his work lies in its uh, he's simultaneously doing both, i think in terms of creating these images that don't exist, that haven't existed, you know, in terms of these monumental, powerful, celebratory portraits, um, and scenes of, of the Black experience, um, but also, yes, in turn, you know, showing that to us, I mean, I think a sort of counterpoint that art historically kept coming to mind was Manet's Olympia, where, Mm. you know, you have, um, sort of this, uh, confrontational take on, you know, of, very traditional subject, you know, the reclining female nude, but she's returning our gaze and returning our stare with a tremendous amount of um, power and presence and and uh, authority. And so, hmm. um, to me, it seems in line with both of those um,
4: yeah. motivations.
0: Uh huh. To me, they seem, um, and I really enjoy them, as I said. And uh, it's not a criticism; it's only uh, an observation. I'm not. Privileging the idea of the uh, agonized over canvas, but they seem presentational in the almost to the extreme. I think
3: that one of the things that you're getting at by describing them as being presentational is how guarded, how really wary most of the of the subjects are. That the, the, um, They're all looking more or less fixedly at us. Some of them look at each other, but often they look at us. And there are so many... Um, layers of um, defense <laughs> that he yes. creates, including the opacity, the matte quality of the paint. His choice to use acrylic—it's you know—it's not about a finicky surface, and um, he certainly gives us plenty of reason to think that he's willing to take on old masters going all the way back. I saw Raphael in the school of culture, school of style, big um, Raphael's. Um, School That's of Athens. Yes. Um, he makes explicit reference to um, Homer, to Corbet, to I'm not going to remember, to Hopper, um, and of course he, you know, he has that room full of selections from the method you know that tells you some of the people he's looking at. Um, I think he's an incredible dra- craftsman. Um, yes. But I think his. Um, his interest in surface is a very particular interest and it has to do you know, in a way with maintaining a kind of I'm in charge, you know, I in the sense of the figures that he's creating. I'm in charge of this image and of how you engage with it and I'm yeah. staring just as hard at you as you are.
1: Don't did you, did you get a feeling that, like, oftentimes the subjects are looking out as if a white person just walked in the room? Yep, <laughs> absolutely. You know, honestly, like, when they're at the barbershop, something basically sort of made them look out and, like, wait, 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 you know. This is our private, this, this is our space. Is, exactly, this you is mind? our space. Yes. Yep. And also, let's let's order ourselves. Let's present, mm. you know, uh, either the best or the most threatening or the most interesting or the most engage- or the, or not the most engaging sort of view forward you know
2: um yeah and i think w- your comment about this about the surface or the matte quality too i mean there's this aspect of acrylic of absorbing light almost instead mm-hmm. of exuding it and it gives them this sense of not being for our sensuous consumption you know they're yes. not these lustrous juicy oil paintings right. just glistening for our you know visceral pleasure you know they are sort of taking the room and the light into them and holding it mm. and that's important
0: Cinematic, therefore, Mm -hmm. rather than, yeah, yeah.
1: And and, and the whole thing about him his using the black, you you were speaking speaking about the light, and and I forgot how many shades of black he uses in his figures, right? Which are almost all exclusively black figures. I think it's seven or eight or something, right? Um, I mean, that in itself is a heavy conceptual statement. You know, it, they're undiluted. <laughs> they're as right. black as they could possibly get. And yet the shades
0: know. of black even to get that Heightened blackness.
1: Absolutely, and there's and there's some images that you you know you can't possibly sort of reproduce. Though, though the yeah. catalog tried to uh, manage to actually do a fairly decent job, mm-hmm. where there are black on black, so you actually sort of like see the shadings. But there are entire rooms. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. where you actually have to also sort of make out the titles of books. Yes. you know, of an Angela Davis biography sitting sitting on a on a um, uh, on a nightstand,
5: mm-hmm.
1: um, and you know again um, there is a there is a you know, th- there's a, there's a tremendous consciousness both of um, where he's situating himself in that particular work, uh, in the history of uh, of art and in the history of painting, and also where it's situated vis-a-vis not just race per se as a large social construct, but like you know, race as an important discussion in the world when he's making that, mm-hmm. when he's painting, you know, and 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 that well, especially today. Seems awfully urgent,
0: doesn't it? Yes, 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 indeed. Well, I think we, w- we, when we conclude, we'll want to conclude with, with some consideration of, of, of that. But let's, um, let's stick with um, where we've been going so far. Um, the taking on um, and um, inserting himself into uh, the canon, a canon that is not iconographically accommodating to an African-American um, is is certainly uh, front and center um, uh, the theme or a theme of Marshall's work and his achievement. Um, it seems to me that he's also very conscious of um, a black canon within the canon um, and that makes one wonder whether um, that's another level of uh, inquiry. I'm thinking in particular of the way in which um, um, uh, um, uh, Jacob Lawrence and, um, um, phew, help me out. Uh, Romare Bearden. Well, Romare Bearden, Jacob Lawrence, but most of all also the...
1: Where, where, who'd you say? No, uh,
0: I think Samuel Bigger's no, no, is, is somebody is much bigger. Uh, than that, th- it, I'm yeah. a senior moment, but th- how how the um, uh, um, yeah okay um, <laughs> uh, okay so let's just say say Jacob Lawrence and uh, and Bearden and the mystery man that Cohen can't remember um, that, um, um, is it almost as if um, I, is it is it an inc- is it a sort of a dialogue with those guys, or is it almost a sense of um, this is how one this is the manner that in which I should naturally express myself? Bill Trainer. No, no, <laughs> it's it's somebody that's like so big, it's ridiculous.
1: What kind of, what, like well, you know what, Robert Colescott could be one. Yeah. Colescott, but, but, but you know what, he he did, he, he he put together. That that room, that curated yes. room that was part of the exhibition, which, you know, it, the show was such a fantastic show that, for me anyway, it was particularly difficult to engage with every single bit of it, even the, sp- the part that seemed to be really important. And that mini show that he put together was obviously very important and not just sort of as a biography, but it worked as a biography. And so... Everybody we mentioned, I think Coles got included, if I remember, Mm. not Biggers, maybe not. Uh, oh. But but Jacob Lawrence and Roe Murray yeah, Beard were definitely both And then there was this there. teacher whose name I'm not sure. Charles, yeah. Charles Wright? Cook, uh,
2: Christopher Wright? No? it's was
1: Charles. Charles Wright, I think. Charles Wright.
3: Who am I? Uh, was White.
0: White, was was White. White. Charles White. White, White. 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 White was his right. name yeah. and he was right. a mentor right. in, in Los Angeles. Right, and he's yes. a mentor of his in Los Angeles, a very The first studio mentor. he visited of an, uh, a professional Right, artist. when he was like, you know, when he was 17 or 18.
1: Literally, you know, leaving... Um, uh, South Central to to you know to to be interested and in, in be taught art you know which was an incredible mm. leap for somebody from that socioeconomic situation and racial situation. Mm. Um, but but you know f- for me and just to go back to your question, the fact that he's able to to um, put together. Um, uh, a lineage yes or several lineages mm-hmm. uh, you know i would argue several yes um one may be the the the, the, the canonical lineage the other may be sort of the what the 25 or 30 or 40 year thing that we talked about earlier with uh colleagues globally speaking you know and, and then clearly one has to be you know just in terms of the coming the consciousness and, and the fully working through consciousness um, of being uh, a black artist, and then being sort of you know perhaps you know the guy who's carrying the story forward, um, is that he's able to do this uh, multiply, right? Mm-hmm. He's able to do this on several levels, and I think that takes a special kind of gift.
0: <laughs> but of course, the 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 super canon is a sor- is a source, not a, not so much a lineage. I mean, it's a it's a lineage if. Um, if if he were attached to some uh, academic tradition it's that it's directly it's uh, it's relates it's to
1: it. There's a line about sort of like walking influences out of your yeah. studio one by one, and I think if as a practicing artist, there's an aspect of that, hmm. you know. Um, hmm. Honestly, I mean, I, th- I think, I don't just speak from my own experience, but I find in speaking to painters that they rarely, contemporary painters, they rarely tend to Certainly, people my age or or his age, um, go back beyond Warhol. (laughs) Right, (laughs) you know it takes some guts. Yes, you know, Um, and and I and I think. Well, usually it's deconstructive. That's the thing. Sense of fellowship, yes.
0: So that that that's what's I think distinctive about his approach is that it's um, it's an enthusiastic embrace, um, while at the same time, not just politically conscious of uh, the the particular. the, the racial angle makes it politically self-conscious but the the painterliness uh is um I, I would certainly not say unself-conscious but is um almost uncritical so it it's 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 very critical on the race side but almost uncritical in the embrace of technique side except that um the the language the plasticity has this a um, uh, definite sort of naivete? I mean, I think Jean, I think Rousseau is a is a, mm-hmm. a, a major kind of. There's there's more Rousseau in him than any of Rousseau's peers, more uh, except perhaps Gauguin. But there's certainly not much Van Gogh or or Cezanne or uh, uh, Picasso or Brac in 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 this guy. But Rousseau, it's it's almost like a direct um, uh, genetic link. And yet,
3: um, Rousseau was presented and presented himself as an untrained artist, which right. is, I think, very different um, from the reality of um, of Kerry James Marshall's experience and his choice of how he wants his work. Positioned. I mean, you know, he did tell us quite a lot, and you know, in those selections that he made from the Met's collection about who he's been looking at, and to your yeah. question of, you know, how he fits within the canon, such as it is, of African American precedents. I think mostly what he's saying is, you know, it, it's it goes back to the same argument that Lyndon Oakland made about women artists in 1971 there isn't a canon because there wasn't the opportunity mm. for um for artists to be supported even you know even if they had the drive and the and the talent there wasn't the institutional support sure.
0: so um but there's an underground um, milieu um, well i mean Lawrence is not underground but that's um Lawrence, uh, Jacob Lawrence's career um, I- is one in which, if you see the patronage of MoMA and of, and of Barnes, um, it's, a, it's a very genuine enthusiasm that those institutions and individuals had for him, uh, and uh, it, it, it enabled his career. But uh, without, I mean, they patronize him in the correct sense, but there's also a degree of you are fulfilling a role through the way in which you express yourself um, that connects to something very authentically American, et cetera, et cetera. So um, uh, what I'm teasing out here and wanting to get at is whether uh, in the um, naivete, not in intention but in handling, in that um, kind of shop sign quality that's there to be enjoyed in in Marshall, is that, uh, is he playing a game, uh, quoting and critiquing uh, an expectation of his style? Or is that just his style? And if it's just his style, does it come out of the depth of his personality? Or is it out of a sense of uh, this is a way to go for me? How does he come to that uh, sign painter, shop sign look?
1: I think he's quoting a critique, to be perfectly frank with you. I mean, I, you know, I, I do think that all of his paintings have a solid element of critique in them, I and mean, it's not all racial critique. No. You know, there's no sfumato in any of his paintings because you can't get there with, you know, uh, seven or eight shades of black. Right. Um, uh, to start with, you know. Um, and secondly, there is the shop sign, uh, I think... Um, uh, visual language, which I think he's genuinely interested in. It's yeah. kind of the language of the street, right? You know, right. it's the language of the barbershop. It's the language of, of um, of the church sign, and and um, and to some degree, even the language of certain kinds of, you know, graffiti. Um, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's 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 pretty deliberately sort of going there, um, uh, and and continuing to to. But at least in his mature work, that it, it's clear to me that that it's that it's very deliberate. In his earlier work, when he's folding or when he, even when he's, he seems unsure of what direction he's 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 going in stylistically. Content-wise, what I find really fascinating about, about him is that he's been ambitious uh, uh, thematically from the get-go, um, and also really steady. Yeah, you know that first egg tempera painting that that we showed in the slide which is about yay big right um which let me see if i remember the, the if i if i can recollect the title of it it's the sh- uh the uh, black painter is a shadow of his former self yes right something like that so um, portrait of the artist is a shadow it, of his right, right former the portrait self. of the artist is a shadow of his former self and he's basically you know riffing man, on yes. you know every every dark picking any stereotype you can imagine right you know, and that's his first big picture out Mm -hmm. you know of the gate I mean you know that yes pow that's that's pretty that's pretty heavy um but then he's I think he's changed up and clearly the mature style doesn't allow for um you know certain kinds of renaissance um uh gifts tricks what have you yeah uh, sure. Tropes, Tropes. Um, okay. you know, uh, because he's he's somewhere
0: else. But there is a lineage uh, of uh, Zoe within modernism of the shop sign, and it's not in any way limited to any uh, demographic within the art world. I mean, so if you look at uh, Magritte or Baltus or um, mm. uh, any number of uh, very early Miro, there's a there's a primitivism and a kind of yeah. solid plasticity that relates, to, that relates to relates uh, to
1: primitivism.
2: And I think it plays into um, his use of collage as well and his interest in collage both formally and conceptually and I mean in his early works like I think you know that one that you're describing it hangs next to another um, tempera painting on a similar scale very small that's painted physically inside the marbled end papers of a book with the gilt still visible and then even when he moves into larger paintings starts adding collage elements like those xeroxes of of women's reproductive organs that appear in several paintings and I mean collage is an important thing for him And, and that of course you know it plays and it eventually falls out of his work. I think towards the later he's not actually applying yeah. things, but that's what you're what you're describing as as a sort of sign shop sign quality. I think is still sort of a way of getting at those like different shapes kind of put together, and you know they're not separate physical pieces, but they are these sort of different elements that are being combined in a single picture plane and he's not trying to be illusionistic about blending everything together and I think John Kern's a really apt person to to mention in in many ways conceptually um but you know it's like he's not doing that he's not painting like Titian to sort of get at the history of of that so there is this sort of pastiche quality that I think is essential to his project
0: yeah I mean he's often drawing on sort of pulp fiction covers and um but but it seems that the there isn't the um say the deconstructive intent that one has in in the late work of Picabia or the or the, the gamesmanship of Picabia it it seems instead to be um a workable working language for exploring issues of of identity of course we've been looking at lineage backwards i think it's worth really savoring how much lineage there is forwards. Um, uh, He's a name that I, I in fact, only hadn't heard of him before I saw him at Documenta some years ago, and uh, just a few years ago. Um, And yet, when you see the body of his achievement, it's impossible to think of any number of uh, younger artists coming along from uh, Ellen Gallagher to Kara Walker to others um, whose uh, language would seem possible well, maybe that's overstating it, but but uh, the the points of affinity are very striking with with many uh, younger black artists in particular.
1: You know, Titus Kafar for one. Yes. You know, who, who I think you know clearly owes a debt. Um, you know, I, d- I think even to some degree, McAleen, You know. Yeah. Um, right. You know, I think there's a number of, of you know artists in there. 30s and 40s who pretty clearly have a debt to,
0: to yes. Marshall. So, the elephant in the room, as it were, I mean, it's not really the elephant in the room, we've we've identified him already, but uh, the the political currency of the, the unexpected, uh, or perhaps the work itself, to the work itself, it's not unexpected, it's uh, uh, well and truly prophesied, but this is a question now, this is the point where we bring in our audience, and we don't really need questions or quibbles. We we need to broaden the conversation and and hear more voices. And so let let me just set it as the topic for this stage of the conversation. Um, what what could Kerry Marshall? What could um, Kerry James Marshall tell us in this difficult moment? Besides just giving the sheer pleasure of something better to look at than the face of Donald Trump, what what is these what are these paintings saying to us? in our present moment. And there will be a mic going around, so do wait for it. Um, actually, you know what? Um, this is something that we can do. Um, don't want to make you unemployed, but um, why don't I just do this? Uh, did I see a hand here? Thank you.
6: <coughs> no, my, uh, my personal experience when I went to the witness. I felt like I was in Dakar or in Bamako, and I think the lineage goes also to African art, contemporary Afri- African mm. art, the art of the decolonization uh, f- uh, starting from the early 60s. And it's impossible not to, anyway, my experience when I was at the Whitney, I felt like I was with all my my front painters from Bamako, and mali and uh, um and it's not only formally it's also with something in common in the diaspora and in africa is a very nice lovely human sense of humor in the work Mm. that you find very often even in human relationship uh in africa so
0: i wanted just to make this point yeah fantastic thank you
1: yeah i mean i you know Cherry Samba immediately comes to mind and that should have yeah. been somebody you know I, I don't know I thought of but uh, right I mean you know all the other names that unfortunately I can't roll off you know my tongue because I don't know them that well but I should um, yeah No, Kate, uh, obviously yes, yes yeah the and photographers absolutely I was just thinking about the
0: painters yeah. um, great thank you thank you guys
4: I just think in terms of What he expresses as a painter, I think he's one of just a phenomenal painter. And when painting's so good, it just covers all time. You can feel it going back and you can feel it shooting ahead. And he's painting sheer joy of humanness. He's really painting being human.
0: Right. The human condition. Yes.
1: No, I, I when I when I was uh, at, at the sh- at the preview rather, I caught the very last bit of him speaking, and he had such a great quote that I'm just going to read it. Uh, yeah. So if I've been looking at this, uh, I've been texting. I swear. Um, uh, he said, "Pictures don't just describe what you desire; they also teach you what you desire." And yeah, I think in in, in terms of in terms of where he was finding inspiration to to paint. Um, uh, and and in terms of where we can find inspiration to (laughs) battle certain censorious um, elements that are coming our way quite quickly, I think we might bear that in mind.
7: Hmm. Uh, Thank you, David. I actually haven't seen the show. I look forward to uh, seeing this very much, but... um, not having seen the show, I'm reminded of what it was like uh, when the paintings first broke onto the scene, and how controversial they were. Uh, it was a um, uh, it was something. These paintings were something that made white people uncomfortable because of the blackness of the figures, but it also was very controversial within the black community uh, because for 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 years. Uh, the idea of modulation and subtle variations of skin was certainly part of uh, even how um, uh, different black people saw themselves <coughs> racially in a hierarchy so this was this was really, really shocking work at the time, and uh, uh, there 's something uh, fascinating about the way he's been able to go on and uh, develop that. Uh, I think of uh, Kara Walker as the one who took that, uh, the initial strength of, of this, um, uh, this critique. And, and for me it seemed like a critique of if you were of African descent you, were al- you would always just be black no matter of the particularities right? and uh, Kara really um, uh, took that to the silhouette and to the complexities and of, of the awfulness of, of race in America but yeah. uh, Marshall did something different and I think one of the things that is really important in his DNA and one of the things that Zoe brought up because this is someone that uh, Curran looks back at is a uh, is um, the illustrator, Norman Rockwell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
2: Wyeth was in his you know, little mini show. I mean, he's looking at these figurative. Yes, things
7: and things. even with uh, Rockwell, the type of humor and wit of the self-portrait and of quoting art. So mm-hmm. think of the Rockwell self-portrait, which is uh, self-deprecating. <coughs> think of the way that uh, Rockwell paints the guy in the suit in front of the Jackson Pollock. So the, these are, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because with so much figurative art these days, it seems that um, people set out to do illustration and then fail, and then that becomes what painting is. But I think with Marshall, he really takes up the challenge of what it means to have illustration, mm-hmm. and, and illustration in a way which is Distinctly illustration, not like what um, uh, what it, what a painting is. It's like what a painting delivers. I think that's what you were getting at. with yes. the, kind of, the kind of delivery. Yeah, the yeah. key to the
0: the, the 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 relationship with illustration and valorizing illustration. It's not uh, it's not it's not a joke about painting by using illustration, which is is a, now a very familiar strain. But inst- instead, it's 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 actually just somebody who's I- an image maker, for whom the the canon of great illustration is of equal credibility to the canon of great painting. In fact, yep. the no, great painting. I, I agree, and I think. Th- illustrations.
7: Uh, you way. mentioned Bob Thompson, and Do- yes. Bob Thompson is really a painter. There's not much illustrational right. content in there. Uh, He's Matissean, not Rousseauian. You know, exactly. E- even though the, he, he inserts his mm. his blackness and his and his. Uh, assertion of being able to paint deeply within uh, the Western canon. Yeah,
0: let's think about skin tone. I want to hear something more about that because it's very striking to me the way in which um, uh, his his blackness, the blackness of flesh, is more schematic than it is anatomical. It doesn't seem it it is a heightened, almost sort of camp notion of blackness, isn't it? In in the theatricalization, it's as if it's as if the characters in his painting are wearing makeup. Uh, th- that's a controversial way of looking at it, but because, because he does bypass the shades of black, as it were, even if he uses however many shades of black to get his blackness, it's a blackness that I- is um, at a remove, in a realistic sense, from anatomical, anatomically correct representations of... of um, People of uh, of African Americans. So, um, what does it mean? What does what does the what does the skin color really? What does the color in his color mean? Uh, yeah, let's see. Sorry.
4: Thank you. I saw the the way he painted the black figures almost as an effigy, and I, I correlated it to that um, bowly figure that he chose that's from West Africa that was in the room of his selections. And that, that Bully figure is a, created as a vessel to contain all of the energy and sort of energy work that's done within a tribe to, for whatever purpose. But I kind of see his paintings that way as vessels. And the way you were talking about how they're painted with layers of defense and the way the figures look out at the viewer, there's, there's so much power in the vessel quality of his work and what it contains and what our part in that is, and in the way that we're sort of protected from it by that bully, you know, that that, that it's not an explosion in our face, but it's there for us to consider. Mm. Right. You know, I think
3: one of the things about the blackness of blackness in his paintings is that um, it it does seem a strikingly artificial choice in our country, but not if you're in Africa. So um, I think, you know, he's talking about the relationship of African Americans in this country to actually being of African descent and to a sense of commitment to that um, history. I mean, he is, after all, a history painter in many ways, and to a kind of dishonesty we all have about how mixed up race really is in this country. I mean, you know, it's been said a billion times that most African Americans in this country are in some degree white and vice versa. Um, That's just who we are, and it's a seldom Mm. recognized aspect. And I think it goes also to what Ellen was saying about the connection in his work with African art. That uh, You know, one of the choices, and they were few, that he made from the Mets collection was an African mask. And I think there, there is that mask-like quality in all of his figuration. It's you know, it's a deliberate kind of okay. This is the identity that you know that I'm presenting to to you. And you know, I think I kind of have to say this. This is a very white audience. Um, I think he's, you know, this is the art world he deals with, right? I mean look at us and you know and so that's the position from which he's speaking this is black you know you want to see what black looks like this is black
1: right. well and also it's an inversion of it's everything you just said and it's also that inversion of that legal metaphor that if you had a drop of black blood right you're black right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he's giving you black in many shades but undiluted by white you know or any other clarifying color as a matter of fact you know. It's it's you know on the one hand a a, uh, it's a slap in the face but it's also you know a, 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 an argument for how to represent you know it's uh, and and quite heavy <laughs> in yeah in the way it does it
2: he gets at that very nimbly through this sort of or er, that. Duality and uh, like this gentleman raised like the idea of humor. I mean, wordplay <laughs> enters into so much of his yeah. work. Whether it's you know the word mine in that um, allegory of South Africa, where you know it's a, a gold mine, a, dime, a uranium mine, or you have the Dutch guy painted in blue Delft, you know, who founded the colony. It's or mine, or that or that wonderful one, um, sob S- or sob sob. And so it's is she right. sobbing as she reads the book of African history, or is it
0: really angry?
1: Is, <laughs> he, is he is he riffing on on a, a white stereotype of of, uh, of a black figure, or is he riffing, as you mentioned, on a black stereotype of a, of a black
0: figure? You know. <laughs> All right. So panel, let's just take um, a <laughs> couple more comments from the floor, two or three, maybe, from the floor. But panel, hold back now because let's let's <laughs> get some more voices from the.
8: Um, <coughs> another comment on color. Yes. Um, that there's this contradiction. Um, the African Americans are are historically invisible to the white world, and he's cr- he's painting them in a in a way with these very pure black tones. So you have to really look, and looking back at the viewer are these eyes mm-hmm. that you know are looking at you. So there's a sense of 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 a, of a command um, to really be looked at and to look.
0: Great, thank you. I did see your hand earlier. You still want to say something? Um, uh, I know I see you as well, but there was. No? Okay. So uh, let me squeeze through here. Thank you. Ah, yes.
4: So, um, so, something I I mean, the one thing I was so, so struck by in the show is the incredible honesty of the work and the storytelling, just that. Use, yes. the use the mic, use the mic. Speak up a little, yeah. Sorry, just the incredible honesty of the work, um, and talking about that um, juxtaposition or um, wordplay that goes on, the idea that the figures are so, so black that they become negative shapes. There's a graphic patterning that happens, and they're, um, they're negative shapes, which, which allows us to step right into them mm-hmm. and experience that, that story. Great, thank yeah. you. And
0: I'll pass it down to your left.
1: Black is supposedly not a color, right, according to scientists and color theorists. It's an absence of light. Um, that yeah. gives you a lot to think about.
9: Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think something that we're not talking about, I want to frame this the right way. I, when I look at John Curran's work or Lisa Yuskovich's work, I think about those paintings as being about white people. And I think they're very much about being white. And I think that sometimes it's just not even talked about. I mean, it's really not with their work uh, because it seems like a given because like the audience is white and the art world is white. And I think that we have to st- change that and start seeing whiteness as an ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And the practitioners of those paintings is presenting a certain kind of class of people and way of life that is ethnic. Um, and I hope that when we talk about Marilyn Minter that we talk about skin too because I think her work is very much about freckles and whiteness and, I mean, I think it has to always be brought up that that's, that's an element, it's a thing.
4: So, yeah. yeah.
0: Do, is, it, is it in the context of us discussing uh, James Carey Marshall that you think of Uscarvige's whiteness or left to your own devices with no Marshall? Uh, you would still be thinking about I his whiteness? I always think of the whiteness of... The, the people, Anglo-Saxon-ness. those people, those painters, who right.
9: I think he has a relationship to. Right. I think white. it's really a mistake not to look at the way they dress, the way they,
1: you know, th- their, mm-hmm. the way they look at us, mm-hmm. their interests, I
0: think it's very much about being white. Fantastic. Great. Well, um, Susie, I think uh, we'll take your cue now and actually turn our attention to Marilyn Minter. And... Um, um, move on. Great. So, thank you. Ah, let me, I don't want to hang this, so this will p- create some sound distortions if I have it. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to surf the crowd.
0: Yeah. Next time I'll bring a surfboard. Yeah. Right, so we can swivel around folks and um, oops, enjoy part two. So Zoe, it was, it was only really in seeing this retrospective overview that um, the connection, I guess the glaringly obvious connection to now that one sees it, but the um, stylistic connection to photorealism is really brought out by those uh, rather extraordinary early paintings of vinyl uh, or lino uh, flooring with a spill on them, a sort of Catherine Murphy-like intensity of uh, Uh, gaze Um, um, a heightened realism but also uh, a realism dependent upon uh, the lens and um, uh, in a way it's hard when you see a retrospective for um, obviously the most recent achievement conditions how you look at the earliest work but the the chronological logic of uh, a retrospective I- is one where, wherever you start, and I think it's it's very interesting that it, the show does start with those previously unprinted student photographs of mum behaving badly. Um, but then, as it were, the really, the first public successful paintings are those unpeopled, hyperrealist, uh, photorealist pictures. So, in a way, that's a sort of the thesis and antithesis that's then resolved in the show, isn't it? So, do, do, do you, wh- where do you think she really stands in relation to realism?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's it's interesting to think about her work in relation to that of an artist, just someone like Via Selmans, um, who is painting in this way, but choosing, in the case of that that sort of linoleum spill, or a crumpled piece of aluminum foil, or frozen peas in the sink, these sort of banal domestic moments instead of something grand and, and natural. And, um, but the relationship between photography and painting I think is, was one of the more compelling threads to consider throughout the show, especially when you get to those later rooms where you have um, you know, similar subject matter. Um, it's it's the lips and the mouth and the glitter and everything. And some are actual, actually very large sea prints and some, most are um, enamel on, on metal paintings. And what does it do to have that subject matter painted from a photograph, a photograph that's been edited in Photoshop, ha- then translate that into painting on metal or just to print the photograph? Mm. And so those steps that she takes or doesn't... Take I think are conceptually sort of relevant.
0: Yes, uh, Nancy, um, y- you wrote on um, Minter's show for the uh, uh, weekend section of the New York Times, so you, you a dry run for the uh, <laughs> ma- major achieve, uh, nothing audience <laughs> Nothing, nothing can yes. prepare exactly. you for this. Exactly. Um, uh, uh, w- what about her, her obsessive focus? Does it? D- do you think it derives from? Um, I'm I'm gonna, I'm interested in the the relationship between her um, mode of inquiry and her chosen subject. It's the the old chicken and egg, h- horse and cart horse thing. But um, a, hi- a, 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 a hyper or photo realist, starting with spills on a lino floor and ending up with uh, high heeled beauties kicking their way through glass and puddles of mercury paint. Um, Begs the question: I- Is it that she's she finds the means for uh, an inquiry into skin, identity, femininity, constructions of gender, or is it that that all those all those layers um, are something that have uh, uh, emerged as a result of that um, myopia from the outset of the career? It's an
3: interesting question, and actually, the way you phrase it, uh, you know, helps me um, formulate an answer. Which is, I think, she's always really been interested in the difference between the surface of things and um, what what they really are. She's um, really interested in women's self-presentation, women's ownership of the way they're seen. I think that was a subject that she came to relatively quickly, those early photorealist paintings, which um, I, I agree with, With Zoë, there's Via Selmans in there. A number of of critics have pointed to a connection with Sylvia Mangold's uh, early photorealist paintings of floors and measurements, and in those early works, Minter was also playing um, with the relationship between photographs she had made in preparation for the paintings, which she then included in subsequent paintings that would have those photographs curled up on the floor, you know, images within images. And all of that, I think, is um, interesting, mainly as backstory, you know, moving through a certain number of sort of Conceptual twists on um, painting and its relationship to photography before arriving at something that the photographs of her mother prefigured, and you know she's really a little um, leery of uh, the fact that they I- have introduced the show at every venue. Um, David said they, they were made in 1969 when she was a student and only um, shown in 1995 for the first time. So, uh, you know, and as the curator um, stressed, they introduce themes of grooming and preening and self awareness and the failures of grooming and preening and the celebration of those failures and, you know, uh, sort of in this um, sort of array of self-defeating, self defeating, self. Um, self-affirming moves that has become mm. the subject of her work.
2: and of performing for a camera for right. a gaze, whether it's your daughter holding the camera or right. a fashion photographer, as you know, many of the models she worked with later are right. accustomed
0: to. Yeah, it might have been uh, cur- curatorially um, more prudent and at the same time audacious to present the 1969 photographs in what is actually a very chronological hang uh, in 1995, right. because that's... The the artist may have snapped them in 1969, but she chose to present them to the pop, to the world in 1995, and th- in a way, they belong. They are a rediscovery that belongs to that moment. Um,
1: they might look really jarring in that chronology, the one you're suggesting. They would be.
0: Yeah. They yes. Yeah, So it's perhaps it, it visually makes sense to have them in that antechamber, the way that they're presented. I think I thought, it, by the way, it was an exquisitely installed exhibition the Brooklyn Museum, I think, really um, uh, has a certain mastery to it there. Um, so, Christian, what did you make of this show?
1: Oh, man, I'm gonna be the critic in the ointment. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, have, I have significant issues with her work. I always have had, though I find myself really intrigued by those photographs. Um, I would have liked to have seen them placed chronologically. Um, I think it would have, you know, thrown a grenade into the show. Um, out of which, you know, I think people could have drawn a, a whole different set of conclusions. I I appreciated the early which work, which I, I didn't know about at all before I went to the show. Clearly, she's working through photography's relationship to painting and, and, and also to, you know, a certain kind of contemporaneity, life's... Um, Connection to photography and vice versa, right? Um, and clearly, also sort of women's connection to that, uh, because the, the the pictures that she makes uh, clearly have domestic settings, as as uh, you both rightly pointed out. And, and she's also, you know, messing about with series of of images that, uh, as you said, she takes. She takes a Polaroid, then she sort of then she paints it, hung. Rather she doesn't take she does take a polaroid, but, but the, the, the depictions, the pictures show the the linoleum or the domestic setting in a polaroid and then the polaroid somehow hung. and then you know sort of serially, the, the one image of the spill remind me of certain rocher moments in um, photorealism, right? Mm-hmm. you know where, where they they're, they're sort of like upping their Trump l'oeil factor right so you know there's a lot of stuff going on there that 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 i think had a lot of life has a lot of life to it, mm, mm, it and that she seems to be questioning the the relationship of of uh of uh, pictoric surface to photographic surface and my problem with the later work is that i think it's some kind of it's a, it's a capitulation to surface the way i see it mm. it's a capitulation to a certain kind of very slick um uh fashion forward um, uh, photographic surface, actually not even photographic at this point, utterly 100% digital and entertainment adults, you know um, and and I I you know I, I, I find th- that point in her work to have very little critical distance from a subject matter and you know, I, give up. <laughs> I right. give up at that point.
2: I'm so glad to hear you say that just because, yeah, I mean, I feel as though there's a lot of affection for her subject matter in this way that made me, at the end of the day, start questioning my own needs or expectations as a viewer, as a critic. Like, do I need this, if you're dealing with women and beauty and glamorization and fashion, etc does it, like do i just need it to be subversive for it to be good um i didn't feel like they had a lot of bite to them the later works it feels anodyne to me even that video we watched at the end sort of this could be the music video for that song i don't know i what? mean or you could run some of these photographs in in a magazine and you know this is selling lip gloss in in you know vogue like I wouldn't blink, and, you know, I think that was just sort of the art direction and of that shoot. But you
1: remember the, the videos were, at least one of them, was used for Madonna uh, concert, right? Right. Um, uh, and I think the other one might have been used by Beyonce in some fashion maybe
3: as one of the videos
0: was was made for the high heels the killer heels exhibition is that right well you know there is this
3: complicated relationship with the fashion industry absolutely and with popular culture which of course she's extremely interested in finding that edge Um, she took commissions from playboy and from tom ford and they kind of didn't work out uh, you know so
1: those Playboy were cool, actually. I like those. So I mean, I, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but Playboy too, didn't. Too racy for Playboy. Playboy didn't yes. go for That's that. That. that was I about... I don't know how pubic epithet. hair was racy for, like, Playboy. What in the world is that about?
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Too hairy>. Perhaps <laughs> I am I'm not reading much Playboy these what days, That's what it was. But it was too yeah, hairy, I, I, I think. I, I, guess, I, I, I gather there's not a lot of pubic hair there. And nor on young women, which is something that she felt needed to be spoken out about. Come on, young girls. Let it rip. So... There is. Um, I find it harder to talk about this on a stage than I would have imagined. Oh, there, on. there <laughs> is a politics there, and I think yes. that. Um, I, uh, so I'll, I'll say um, two places where I think it asserts itself, and one is that um, I get how the um, the video that we saw, and and actually two of the bigger paintings, are are from stills from videos. Um, that. The um, videos and the straight photography um, leaves me a little bit cold too, and um, there's something, and this is going to be a perhaps artificial connection um, with Carrie James Marshall, um, but there's something about the language of painting things that you can achieve when you know they've been touched by hands, Um, the manual um, that still exists in her painting, it is painted by hand, there's no airbrushing, she's very insistent on that. And you have to come really close to see that Um, and that kind of very close involvement, which brings you just as close to the other thing that she's very insistent on in all of the work is stuff that's really too gross for Playboy or, you know, Tom Ford or whomever. And, you know, you see the tropes of what she's done with, like, the dirty feet and, you know, the sort of elements of grunge. But side by side with actual fashion photography, you see what she's doing, to my eyes, is um, more radical.
0: I I think, though, that what's happened is, to some extent, that Fashion photography uh is is not as polite as it once was no and that um there's been uh, that such an explosion of uh, a desire to be artistic in uh the functional medium of fashion photography that the the fashion magazine is a a forum for um uh, subversive and and quite kind of forward looking Um, No, it isn't. (laughs) No, I think. No, no, I think you know. uh, Well, I don't see. uh, I'm not going to summon names because I don't know their names. Uh, But um, well, I mean, think of uh, say Wolfgang Tillmans, who's somebody whose career. Think about uh, Wolfgang Tillmans.
1: I don't think he's (laughs) subversive at all.
0: But no, no. But he's uh, uh, he he uh, explores a kind of imagery in fashion magazines that. uh, Richard Avedon wouldn't have been involved with thirty years before. I, I think that's that's incontrovertible, and and I I think that there's a a general kind of um, um, the the fording of of lifestyle and a kind of grunge in fashion um, that um, um, slightly pulls the rug from under Marilyn Minter's uh, feet because um, fashion has gone some of the direction. Has f- some of the way to meet her halfway.
3: Although there is undeniable fact that she doesn't paint people with their clothes on ever. So I mean the shoes are as close she's as as close as she comes. Um, so it's not really about fashion. It's about bodies and naked bodies. And it's about you know I mean. There's oh
0: no! Well, I don't, no one is suggesting that she uh, she's about well uh, no I'm I'm s- but the point I was making is that in fashion magazines. Uh, the um, the language of the, the, the more cutting-edge fashion photographers uh, is concerned with the body in a way that uh, might not always please executives at L'Oreal or, or Rubenstein.
2: And I still think you're right that, I mean, it, her photographs would look different side by side with, you know, the stuff that is being, mm. you know, reproduced as editorials, but I guess just if the differences are that, oh, there's an uncorrected, blemish, or there's a freckle, or there's an armpit hair, or there's a dirty toenail that would have gotten, you know, fixed up in post-production had it Mm. been in the fashion magazine, I still don't know whether it's telling me anything I didn't already know about, you know, constructed standards of female beauty, and about desire, and, you know, commodification, fetishy, you know, the the stuff these magazine breeds, and, and it's their stock in trade. So, I guess just at the end of the day, yeah, it's sort of like, okay, like... Here's a here's a gross hair that wouldn't be. I don't know that that's enough for me. <laughs> Whereas right. those early works that I wasn't familiar with, because I think you see these the later ones a lot now, but those early works I think were. W- more ambiguous and interesting
1: but but for something as undressed as as purportedly as undressed as the, as her work is doesn't it seem like i mean it seems to me it's a little prudish frankly you know i mean with the exception of like an underarm uh, yeah an armpit and and an anus which was you know kind of hard to decipher but interesting probably the most interesting painting for me at least in that batch of work you know there there, there ain't much there you know, it's not particularly undressed. It doesn't push a lot of envelopes in that way. You know, I, I just had somebody in mind who does, who 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 paints who paints nudes, and for some reason it went right out. Ellen.
0: Uh, uh,
1: uh, who? Ellen who?
0: Well, as soon as you forget her name, of course I'm going to. It's <laughs> like <laughs> a. To see it. Ellen Olafest. Ellen, Altfest. Yeah, for Ellen yeah, for example.
1: Yeah, for example. Um, uh, You know, or even come on, let's just see even Joan Semmel. You know, like you know just pure, you know, straight out nudes. Um uh I was oh Betty Tompkins for Christ's sake! Oh well, yes, it you know, those I mean, early, like, but they, but, they're, they're,
0: but I think there's
1: somebody who's pushing, who's been pushing the envelope for a long time yeah. on, on 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 nakedness and, and, and yeah. sexuality and porn and you know uh, depictions, obviously depictions of sex themselves and, and, the, and the semiotics of yeah, misogyny. you know, and, yes. and she's really guarded. It seems to me, you know, well, I think
0: I don't think it's she's guarded. I would suggest that. Um, Betty uh, Tompkins, who we've discussed on the panel in the past, uh calculating then. Sorry.
1: Calculating then.
0: Yes, uh, f- for Betty, uh, the, the the painting goes along for the ride. She's got a message, and I think with Marilyn Minter, uh, that there's a that there's a subtext of um, uh, gender and identity, but that first and foremost she is a a craftswoman. She's she's a painter, and that um, when I see these paintings. Um, the, f- the hyperrealism really makes me think of um, early Chuck Close, uh, mm-hmm. with the um, the degree of um, uh, every uh, with the minutiae of uh, the human condition present. But um, I actually find, um, with the with what I take to be her best paintings, that uh, um, the, the, the the figure that comes to mind for me actually is David Reed. Uh which may seem uh left of field, but it's it's pushing that real space between painterliness and the photographic image
3: and she does actually um you can take this uh with whatever degree of irony you choose. She describes yes. herself as somebody concerned with issues of abstract image making Yes. Right? so you know and there that's another thing that's a through line f- straight from the beginning is. You know, some relationship to this very old-fashioned notion of um, transparency and the relationship of the image to the surface of the of, the, of um of the subject of the painting, um, you know these very recent paintings that are based on photographs of women behind glass, and the image sits on the glass. There's steam on the glass. Um, you know she's talked about in relationship to um, modernist masters. Um, that, this brings us back to to Marshall as well. Uh, you know, and I think along with questions of um, Desire and appetite and self-presentation, um, self-awareness, self-consciousness—that whole spectrum. There is also an interest in you know how we think about beauty, straight ahead. Yes. How we think about sublimity, the relationship between it, the beautiful and the terrifying. This goes back centuries. Um, the definition of sublimity, uh, you know, involves a kind of terror, which, you know, it's not like her. Paintings are exactly terrorizing, but uh, they're a little devouring. Well, it's I a highly s-
0: it's a highly stylized notion of the sublime and Absolutely. Of terror. But I, I I I find in their gaudy campness they're rather exhilarating. They remind me actually of Tiepolo's ceilings. They they have that kind of um, uh, giddiness and um, uh, surprising complexity for for images that seem very uh, sumptuously decorative and easy to just breeze through. That if one does delay with them, uh, they reward that closer attention. Good. I think it's time, panel, that we uh, went back to our audience. Uh, so let's um, uh, let's get some some voices from you, and be particularly welcome to hear from somebody who didn't speak in the first half. But uh, uh, but I I have noticed Jim's ha- ha- yes. Uh, here we are. Oh, you did? No, you're picking your nose. Okay, that's fine. uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kidding you, of course. Uh, Yeah, Jim. I,
7: you know, I, I, I think this juxtaposition of these two artists with this um, review panel is is pretty interesting. Uh, It's um, because I think, uh, following up on what Zoe said, that each artist. Really has its, has their own politics. But I'd like to sort of pull back, because if you think about what uh, uh, Marshall looks like in terms of photography, he would be uh, very much a humanist, a uh, critical humanist, maybe in the mold since photography is brought into this uh, of uh, August Sander, where you're dealing with a with a type of frontality of the figure, a type of typology, a type of unit of the human body as uh, what constitutes reality.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: And to follow the photographic comparison, uh mentor would be someone like uh, Lee Friedlander. And that's an anti-humanist perspective. And with, with anti-humanism, the body... Is not, uh, is not the unit. It is, it, is, it is fractured, it is reflected, it is multiplied, it is full of surfaces. Her um, early work, which I also, also remember when it came out as being, I thought, completely hilarious, was the food porn, right. which is a type, of, uh, a type of bodily art, but a type of taking it in. And there, there is a there is a notion of taste uh, uh, as well, but I, I, f- I, I, find what she does uh, in terms of dealing with representation, representation, enormously destabilizing. Mm-hmm. And if Marshall's politics is mm-hmm. to create a stability of of uh, the human of a human being, mm-hmm. uh, Minter is fracturing and is is taking us, I I think, uh, Mm -hmm. on this type of adventure where we move between food, uh, bits of clothing, uh, bits of makeup, uh, incidental uh, bodily fluids to the body of the painting, the surface of the painting, and of course the staining and the mess, uh, which is, the creativity of uh, an anti-humanist perspective.
0: Right. Yes. Exactly. So that we have in uh, Minter the cellular, as opposed to the visage, and the the, the Vitruvian in in uh, Marshall, the cellular in um, in Minter. Yeah. Yeah. Any any further thoughts? How about this question then of, of where we are now in in our culture? The the rampant misogyny that's now institutionalized, along with white supremacy. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm always happy to get a laugh, but I'm not sure what was funny in that scene. Well, you know, we, um,
1: we, we, we might start uh, with, with the idea that postmodernism is not going to help us out much there <laughs> as yes. opposed to humanism. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure where my good friend James is at in that respect. I don't find her work or, or that, that general sort of... Um, that general philosophical position to be particularly dis- destabilizing at this point I've had to be exactly the opposite. Actually, just it, it utterly subsumed <laughs> and um, and co-opted uh, in a way that somebody like Marshall is not.
0: So, who is subsumed and co-opted then? Well, the postmodern Inter. sort of like oh, oh, uh, he he
1: said anti-modern, but essentially, I think it can be.
0: No, no, James, Mellon uh, 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 James, don't don't. We'll leave it. Okay, we'll, talk. Uh, we'll talk later.
4: So, I don't know if this answers your question, but just thinking about the contemporaries now and that bridge both editorial and artistic spheres with feminism and the body, I think of Ryan McGinley and Petra Collins, and I think Minter does an amazing job at showing, you know, the zit, the pubes, all of that, so in such like a raw, dirtier way than um, the two artists that I mentioned that are practicing today and I think it's great to compare the two because I think that she was a major inspiration to them yet they even though they show the whole body seem much more prude than she is
0: right thank you oh yes
8: I have uh, just two comments about the about Marilyn's show and the just that the Visual beauty at the Brooklyn Museum really just bowled me over—the the color and the gigantic size of these paintings. So just visually, I was very enamored of it. Um, but then the other thing that I just often wonder about with Marilyn is with Marilyn Minter's work is why does she have to have models? <clears throat> I guess it really is about the fashion world because she's not having regular people. And this idea of showing some pimples or some pubes there on these. Incredibly beautiful girls that she hires, right. and so what I, I kind of wonder what that's about, and I think it's a, a. She has this loving relationship to the fashion world. She loves I think she loves glamour, and then maybe she's even empowering these girls by, making them gigantic and, and ferocious, but they're still, fashion models, not people.
0: Right, right. I mean, not the fashion models aren't people. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. So when 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 you're going for the. Uh, the squalor, it's it's strange to then contract um, an, a, a great beauty with her agent in order to then explore her quotidian kind of squalidness. Why not just go out in the street, as it were?
5: Yeah. Thank you. So I think this is, um, what, what I'm about to say is essentially just really a, a formal reading of uh, the works in her retrospective. And I think that, uh, when we look at the painting of uh the spill on the lino- linoleum floor, and then we also look at the uh the enamels on on metal like there is a certain um, i guess admiration for the quality of materiality or for the material itself um, and I think that she uses the mate- uh enamel and paint to sort of elevate whatever the composition or whatever the uh, I guess, the content of her work uh, will be. And so essentially, at this point, I feel this sort of, again, as you you mentioned, um, the spill on the linoleum floor is sort of this banal scene. Um, And the way I've interpreted uh, the paintings of these models is that it's almost um, a tongue-in-cheek critique of um, the fashion industry. Um, It's sort of complicated because she does have this Uh, working relationship with with the fashion world, but at the same time, um, I can't help but read uh, her uh, Her subjects as sort of uh, I guess um, her way of suggesting that The female body has become sort of this banal thing now, you know, we see these fashion spreads everywhere. We sort of um, experience these uh, these images and these uh, these visuals on a day-to-day basis. And so for her to sort of ele- elevate that in a way, um, using the material itself, it kind of has a, a sort of, an associate. it has a relationship to her intention sort of elevating that, that scene of a spill on the linoleum floor. And so it may kind of be more of a, yeah, it's essentially. What's interesting, too, is the
2: idea of framing. You know, she's taking these very specific moments. Like, it's unfortunate that with the linoleum spill, they don't sort of show it as a whole object in this slide, but it's, in fact, painted on on, on unstretched canvas, you know, with the border, and and as are the other ones in those series. And she's very preoccupied with framing and that moment, and then that plays into her later fashion ones, where it's, uh, you know, I'm taking this body part or something, and so cropping in on... uh, on these On these sort of specific moments, to greater or lesser effect in some cases, but
0: yeah. fabulous well panelists, do we have any um, overarching summing up we wish to offer that that would uh, tie together the two shows we've looked at, um, or is, uh, do we feel comfortable that the um, the evening has made the connections for us? Any last thoughts, any last words, any panelists? Uh? Well, we ought to be able to do this, shouldn't we? We should. (laughs) Um, You won't get paid unless you do it. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. In that case, we riff.
1: Um, Just a last reaction from me about the mentor. Um, You wrote a very good uh, descriptive and otherwise uh, critically uh, impressive piece about the work. Roberta headlined hers and again she her editor may have done it but I think it was called something like the triumph of the nasty woman and frankly I just don't find her very nasty and that's I think part of my issue um, and so maybe to connect to Marshall is you know Marshall's not nasty per se but he gets pretty nasty you know I think he takes those those very very difficult issues of of race and you know goes Goes at him uh, as directly as anyone I can think of, mm-hmm. um, uh, Walker included, uh, and 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 I think that's to his benefit. Um, so, you know, to push the this idea further, you know, I guess in the current uh, um, intellectual climate, <laughs> if it can be described that way, um, uh, you know. Marshall seems to me the kind of guy that has arguments, you know, that can, that can be, no pun intended, marshaled against, you know, a certain kind of, uh, um, the kind of censorious that we kind of, censoriousness that we know it's coming, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of anti-humanism, the kind of, uh, frankly, anti-democratic and anti-discursive uh, logic that, that you know, we know is totally coming down the pike. I am not convinced Marilyn Minter is a person who can, or an artist who can basically, who, who can do that you know, via, via her. I don't think her work speaks to that. Again, I'm, I'm stuck on the idea that Minter's work seems to me to be a, a serious capit- capitulation to, um, to the culture industry, to celebrity culture in general. You know. Yeah, yeah, and there's and, no uh, point in And, paper yet, from and that. yet,
0: and yet, what Mar- what Minter does that Marshall um, tends to avoid, uh, Marshall gives it to us straight. Um, there are sometimes multiple possible. There are multiple readings possible. But um, the difference between ambivalence and ambiguity. I mean, in in the Marshall the sob or sob picture. Yes, we've we've. We've spelt out how there can be more than one reading of it, but um, it's a very neatly stacked um, layering, isn't it? Whereas with the minter, it's a kind of fuzzy, mushy exploration, and maybe that can be faulted for not being um, uh, politically explicit. But it can also be, um, it can also be that it it has maybe richer future possibilities and unexpected readings because precisely because it's teasing out something that's more uh, ambiguous. Um,
1: 30 Shades of Grey is where I wound up. (laughs)
2: I'm unconvinced as well and yet um, at the same time I mean I think Marilyn Minter as a, as a person and as an activist is probably exactly the sort of person in whom we should place our trust I mean mm. she's raised more money for Planned Parenthood for the ill-fated election um, than a lot of artists I know rallying other artists around these, these important causes and she devotes yeah. tremendous amounts of her, her private resources to that so I think she is political I think she is you know Highly feminist, and just um, whether his whether her work is, I don't think it's more ambiguous and subtle and mushy nuanced mm. than Marshall's. I'm just I'm not sure her politics, which are real and fierce and great, are are always in in there in the work. It, there's not a lot of hmm. bite um, while she has lots in in life.
0: So. Right. I always think of Oscar Wilde. You know, the, the all artists one surface and symbol penetrate one at your peril and stay on the surface at your peril as well.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So it falls to me to defend Marilyn Minter. And, um, you know, I want to say that um, obviously there are, you know, there are commensurate artists—they're not up to the same thing. Um, one thing that distinguishes Marshall's work for me very clearly is that there's a tremendous amount of information there for me. I learn a lot from looking at his paintings. It shames me to say that, but there's so much about just you know ordinary black families in this country that we don't see, that we don't know. We we know um, so our understanding of um of so much of the range of culture that we're not exposed to is canned by you know the the mainstream media and um if we are gonna survive the next four years um we really have to get a grip on you know what we're being told that Matters and what we're being told that's a distortion. I think both of these artists are up to um, keeping us honest. I think one of the things that is most important in Marilyn Minter's background as an artist is taking a really strong stand on basically a, a free speech issue, you know, on the difference between. Um, uh, trying to shut down expression that was seen as pornographic in defense of a kind of feminism that I I have sympathy with and, and really making the tough decision to say these things can't be policed. Right. Um, you know there's no kind of eroticism that should be outlawed if it's consensual um, and that's something that um, was really important at the time particularly with respect to the AIDS crisis which she was very involved um, in supporting uh, a resistance to, uh, you know, – Governmental apathy. – Thank you. And, um, uh, you know, I think, it, uh, apart from that, you know, there are stylistic differences that we've talked about, uh, I think a commitment to painting is something they share, and, uh, you know, it's an important way to talk.
0: – Thank you, you very know. much. Wonderful. Well, thank you, a big thank you to the Brooklyn Public Library for hosting us and to uh, a committed and fulsome audience uh, for participating and for being here, and to my panelists. Uh, I look forward to seeing you all on December 13th. We're on the brink of choosing our shows. We just need to do a little bit of fact checking remaining, but keep your eyes skinned um, on, uh, on artcritical.com. Join, uh, friend us at Facebook, go and like the page, uh, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram, um, and best of all, go to artcritical.com, subscribe and and put your name in for the newsletter and you'll get a weekly update of what's new at Art Critical and all information that you need about the review panel. A last word I would say is uh, that um, uh, if you're looking for some local dining opportunities, uh, the, the panelists and some friends will be going to Bar Covo on Washington Street. It's a capacious restaurant. I don't think it's the ideal evening for the garden, but um, uh, it would be fun to see many of you in the, to fill out the restaurant there and continue the discussion. Um, otherwise, in any event, see you December 13th. Thank you very much.